Welcome back to Psychic Crime, and I'm your host, Nicole Mann. Once again, I just want to thank all of you for listening. I start every show by letting you guys know that I never thought I would be doing this this long. thought maybe my family would listen, but you guys have continued to tune in. I really, 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 really appreciate it. Uh, I see that we have more countries from all over the world. Uh, Germany is still hanging in there strong. Slovakia, Sweden, really, really, really appreciate it. And please just continue to listen and support. If you like, you can go to the Patreon. We have several different tiers of follower. Um, one in which you can get a t-shirt and request the crime of your choice for me to cover. Um, we also, my Venmo, I'll put that down below if you want to make a one-time payment. And then also there is merchandise. If you want to support that, the, I'll have the link to the merch store below. It's Crime Scandal on Design by Humans. Every single um, design can be made into multiple items. You basically click on the design and then they'll have a couple of drop-down menus for whether you want apparel or non-apparel items. Uh, once you select that, then you select the kind of apparel or the non-apparel item. If you want a water bottle or a mouse pad, those are in there as well. So uh, give it a, a look. Um, they routinely have a lot of sales and things. So uh, anything that you can do to support, I greatly, greatly appreciate. So this week, we're going to look at the case of Thomas Gilbert Jr., this was a huge case because he was the wealthy socialite son of two financiers. Um, his father ran a very big hedge fund. So this made a lot of headlines. At one point, one of the psychiatrists actually came out and said that they did not see him as mentally ill at the time he committed the crime. While there is definitive signs in history of mental illness, he was not mentally ill at the time of the crime. However, they did say he was just incredibly entitled. So we are going to be looking at psychological entitlement this week, and we've covered that before on this show. Now, while he was uh, diagnosed with schizophrenia and OCD, uh, most schizophrenics are nonviolent. I have yet to ever meet anybody with OCD who would physically hurt me. Um, they may threaten to whenever things get out of place, but I have yet to meet a violent person with OCD or that OCD led to violence. So in psychological entitlement, it refers to a general belief that one deserves more or is entitled to better than other people are. Psychological entitlement is defined as a general belief system because it consists over time and across many different situations. The concept of entitlement and deservingness play an important role in much of social life. They both reflect the commonly held idea that when individuals contribute to a situation, they should get something back in, in return. But when individuals do not get what they feel they deserve, they consider the situation unjust or unfair. They may get upset and or angry and try and seek some type of resolution. Entitlement and deservingness are similar but have dramatically different meanings. Entitlement usually refers to a reward that a person should receive as the result of a social contract. For example, a person would say that they're entitled to receive a pension because they worked a job for a set number of years. In the United States, government programs like Social Security are actually called entitlement programs. Deservingness, in contrast, 
usually refers to a reward that a person received as a result of his or her character or efforts. For example, a person may say that they deserve a larger salary because they're such a hardworking employee and that they keep a positive attitude in the workplace. Psychological entitlement encompasses the experience of both entitlement and deservingness across time and situations. In this sense, psychological entitlement can be considered an individual difference variable. That is, it reflects a very general difference between people in beliefs and behaviors. Some individuals have chronologically high levels of psychological entitlement. Others have moderate and others have no levels of entitlement. Individuals who have high levels of psychological entitlement think they deserve more than others do in most situations. For example, a student with a high level of entitlement will think they deserve an A, even if it's clear to everyone else that they don't. Furthermore, the same student will likely feel that they deserve an A in all of their classes because psychological entitlement is a general trait and never limited to one specific situation. In contrast, another student with a low sense of entitlement would not think that they deserved an A if they didn't earn it. An individual's level of entitlement is typically measured with a self-reporting scale, the psychological entitlement scale. This scale asks individuals to rate the extent that they agree with certain statements. These include, I deserve more things in my life. People like me deserve extra breaks now and then, and I feel entitled to more of everything. Individuals who have high levels of psychological entitlement are more likely to agree with every one of these or similarly worded statements. Psychological entitlement has a wide range of important and often negative consequences for human thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. In the workplace, for example, individuals who have high levels of psychological entitlement often believe they should be paid more than others in similar positions. This can potentially lead to conflict and divisiveness in a workplace and leave psychologically entitled people constantly dissatisfied. In romantic relationships, entitlement is also related to many negative consequences. Individuals with high levels of psychological entitlement report responding more negatively to conflict when they're in a relationship, being less empathetic, and less respectful and willing to take their partner's perspective. They also report being more selfish and more game-playing, aka manipulative. Finally, individuals who have high levels of psychological entitlement are more prone to aggression. These individuals believe they deserve special treatment, so they are particularly likely to be aggressive towards those who criticize them. In short, individuals who have high levels of psychological entitlement often feel shortchanged by society as a whole. This is linked to feelings of resentment or anger, selfish and self-centered behaviors, and even open hostility and aggression. Although psychological entitlement is usually linked with negative outcomes, it may at times have benefit individuals in certain situations. For example, employees who have high levels of psychological entitlement may actually end up making more money because they ask for it. Likewise, students who think they deserve higher grades and demand them might in some cases actually receive higher grades. Of course, the benefits of entitlement are short-lived. Individuals who constantly demand more resources or better treatment than they actually deserve might gain bad reputations and eventually be avoided by people. Lastly, psychological entitlement may also operate at the level of your social groups. When there is a conflict between groups, 
excessive levels of entitlement by one group may be blamed. In the United States, and certainly this must happen in other countries, many social groups have been referred to as entitled. These include CEOs, celebrities, and professional athletes. It could be anybody of any age, young, old, poor, and even rich. In each of these cases, the label entitled applied to a social group implies that members of that group believe society owes them special treatment. Furthermore, the implication is often that special treatment is not truly deserved for these people. For example, if a professional athlete is caught committing a crime, the comment is often made that it is typical of these type of enabled athletes to think the rules don't apply to them, but everybody else. Now, when Thomas Gilbert Jr. was a student at Deerfield Academy in Massachusetts, he joined Big Brothers and Big Sisters, a community-based mentoring program for those of you who aren't aware of what it is. He was a Princeton graduate who grew up spending summers and vacationing in the Georgia Association in Wainscott. He was assigned to an eight-year-old boy from Deerfield Township and he formed a great connection with them. We met his parents, recalled Thomas's mother, Shelley. They were waxing eloquently about how much Tommy had done for him and we were doing likewise waxing eloquently about how wonderful their son was and how much he had helped our son. Tommy surprised them, she said, when he signed up for a confirmation class at the school. They'd enrolled him in a class at their church in the city when he was in the all-boys Buckley school, but he dropped out. Eighth grade at Buckley is notorious, his mother said. People who graduate with honors from Ivy League schools talk about the eighth grade being the toughest academic year. So he did not go on to that but he did when he got into Deerfield. Religion was important to the family. She said though they weren't regular churchgoers, kindness and good citizenship and whatnot are incredibly important to all of us. The Gilberts attended their son's confirmation ceremony at an Episcopal church near Deerfield. We went up to a lovely ceremony. I was surprised and pleased. Before his senior year, she remembered the Dean of Students asked Tommy to be a proctor for the freshman sophomore dorm. That's how highly thought of he was at school, at least among the administrators, coaches, and teachers. He took a heavy course load, four AP classes, our AP for those of you advanced placement or actual college courses, in senior year of high school, while he played varsity football, basketball, and baseball. His parents often traveled to Massachusetts for games. Tommy was never one to brag, she said. In the 12th grade, when I congratulated him on achieving the tri-varsity or lettering in three different uh, subjects, sports, it can be band, you can letter in competitive speech, there's a lot of things you can, can actually letter for now. He said, oh, my goal was actually to do it last year, so I didn't achieve my goal. When he was one of two Deerfield boys chosen for an all New England team, the Gilberts had to hear about it from another boy and not their son. The cherry on top of all this was his early admission to Princeton, his father's alma mater. Miss Gilbert said it was from that school and that it fit him perfectly from everything, the location to the class sizes. She read with a pardonable pride from his advisor report that stated Tommy has a positive, upbeat attitude, a terrific sense of humor, and a calm, unflappable manner. He has growing confidence and a sound sense of self-esteem. 
this person clearly did not know him that well. But his odd behavior had just begun to show itself. They also wrote, he comes on slowly and it's hard to spot, very hard. It was Tommy's father who noticed it first. Tommy became very quiet, she said. We talked about it. I thought it was just exhaustion, well-deserved exhaustion. His father thought it was way more than that. At first, there were warning signs of his OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, characterized by unwarranted fears that led to uncontrollable behavior. The fear of germs, for example, is typical. The son started to avoid certain objects, Mrs. Gilbert said. Then he claimed they were contaminated. Later, he said their entire apartment in Beekman Place in Manhattan was contaminated. The parents tried to get him help, but he resisted. And by the time he agreed to see a psychiatrist, he was legally an adult, and the recommendation was that he be hospitalized. By the time you start getting a handle on things, they're adults, his mother said. It's not just you, it's common. She and her son were close. I could read him like a book, which was great fun. I loved it, and I could get through to him remarkably well, especially for a parent of a teenager, she stated. Then, however, it's like a roadmap changed. Suddenly I was dealing with a stranger. Our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because I wanted better gut health. I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. It doesn't taste chalky or sour like superfood powders or probiotics normally do. It just has this really kind of mild tropical taste that I really, really love. So what is it? With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and aptogens. Some of you know I have Hashimoto's, and it causes digestive problems for me. So I've tried a lot of different probiotics, and this is one of the best-tasting ones I've ever tried. I just drink it in the morning with breakfast, and tons of people take different kinds of multivitamins, and it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. So I figured, hey, why not just drink it? For every purchase, they donate to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in needs, including No Kid Hungry here in the US. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com emerging. Again, that's it. athleticgreens.com emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now, in June, January of 2015, which was just a couple of months after he attacked his friend on the street, Tommy arrived unannounced at his parents' plush Upper East Side home. He was armed with a Glock 40 caliber handgun from an Ohio dealer he met on Facebook, Guns for Sale Group. <sighs> yeah, but we don't need gun control. People are buying guns on Facebook, but we don't need gun control. He sent his mother, Shelly, out for a sandwich and a coat before he shot his father, Thomas Gilbert Sr. 
point blank in the head before trying to stage the murder to look like a suicide. The NYPD Emergent Services team arrested him seven and a half hours later. No one believed it was a suicide as Tommy had tried to make look, and he has never, to this day, said why he did it. When Tommy originally started running into trouble with the police, the Gilberts hired him an attorney, Alex Spiro, who before going into law had worked at McLean Hospital, which has a top-rated psychiatric unit. Mr. Spiro held out little hope that a court would order a long-term institutionalization for them, unless someone was of eminent harm to himself or he explained he can't be involuntarily committed. There was a tall, handsome, smart, well-dressed surfer. What could possibly be the problem? He must be faking it really well. And that can be part of the issue when you need to get people um, committed against their will when they don't recognize how much of a threat or a danger they are to themselves or others. Um, the ruling, at least in my state, is called a 5150 hearing or sectioning someone to the hospital. It starts with a call to the police, the police. If you're a family member, you can file a 5150 on behalf of the individual to get them um, involuntarily committed. Uh, you do still have to go in front of a judge. Um, but if you are a clinician like myself, um, what happens, especially if it's it's um, at the place where you're working while you're on shift, you call the police and the police um, ask a few questions to make sure their assessment of the person matches yours. And if they do feel that the person could be an imminent risk of danger to themselves or others, they will take them away for what's supposed to be a 5150 or a 72-hour psych hold. Um, sometimes they take people away, and this has actually happened to someone I know. Um, she was given way too much of a caseload. She went to tell our former boss her caseload was too high. Um, as she was crying because she couldn't meet her deadlines because there were supposed to be two people in her position. The other one left and they just didn't ask any of the backup counselors to fill in for some reason, giving a part-time person a 20-something person caseload. And they're normally supposed to meet with people every other day, just not possible to see everybody. And so, of course, she was upset. She was overwhelmed. And they tried to commit her. They really did try to call the police and file a 5150 to have her committed. And when she got to the hospital, the first thing they said is, there's nothing wrong with you. You're coherent. You're answering my questions in a timely manner. You're exhausted. That's very clear. But you don't need to be committed. If you want to go home, I'm sending you home. So sometimes it can happen like that. If someone spitefully tries to use it, rest assured they're going to be reevaluated at a hospital by a psychiatric professional and if they deem the hold isn't necessary they're going to let them go right away as with what happened with my friend she didn't even spend a night in the hospital as soon as they did the initial evaluation they let her go um because that's complete total bs um to be hospitalized because you can't deal with your caseload is absolutely insane and ridiculous so Situations like that, yeah, you sometimes can walk away. It doesn't always happen immediately. Um, he was completely fine in certain settings and not fine at all in others, such as the fight with his friend Peter Smith Jr. He won an order of protection against him and testified that Mr. Gilbert had tried to kill him after their friendship soured. Then, 
shortly after the first attack that caused him to take out the restraining order. There's a fire that destroyed the Smith family's centuries-old home in Sagaponic. Arson was suspected, and Thomas Gilbert Jr., though never charged with the prime suspect. You have to understand, the old houses in Massachusetts, a lot of them are actually historically protected. Um, you can purchase the house, but in many cases of the houses, you can't make any structural design changes. Um, like, you might be able to updo the kitchen, you know, spruce up the bathroom. But aside from that, you're not allowed to make any real changes to the house um, because it is protected because many of the buildings are from way, way, way back. Um, I live in the hometown of Lizzie Borden. Uh, Lizzie Borden's parents' house is still around. It's a bed and breakfast. So you really do have old, 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 like pre-World War One houses um, here in Massachusetts. So... If he set to fire one of these old historic homes, then it absolutely would stand to reason they would come after him with the full extent of the law. So when Miss Gilbert heard that they were accusing her son of setting the Smith's house on fire, she became horrified. He had never been violent in any way before that she was aware of, but he did have pending charges and directly after he killed his father, four months after the Sagaponic house fire, Mr. Spiro told the Gilberts that the burden should have been on the criminal justice system to require mental health conditions. It really could have been a blessing in disguise, he stated. Alex Spiro, Gilbert's lawyer, said that his client had unsuccessfully tried to reach the president of Cablevision um, because he was believed to be getting radioactively poisoned by a battery. Mr. Spiro asked that his client be retested for competency. But the prosecution initially objected. I think a little bit of perspective is needed, said an assistant district attorney, adding that the request could lead to an endless cycle of competency testing hearings. So the reason he stated this is because initially, Gilbert refused multiple times to show up to court. Um, when it came to competency, he initially refused to even meet with the two psychologists. Um, he then, um, at one point, he had to go, so he was going, but he wasn't answering, so he wasn't cooperating. He wasn't allowing them to get what they needed to determine he was mentally ill or not. And this caused the trial to drag on for a long time. There was also several days where he refused to come to court. It was a mess. He was just making things worse and take way longer than it needed to. Now, in this second evaluation, the development had a very different conclusion than the one reached by two court-appointed psychiatrists. One of them called Gilbert too mentally ill for trial. Stuart Kushner, hired by the DA, however, found no trace of psychosis or other mental disorders. That's impossible that they couldn't find any other mental disorders. No, I think they were just telling them what they needed to hear, what they thought they needed to hear. Um, although there are no indications in the record that Mr. Gilbert has a psychiatric history, I saw absolutely no symptoms of mental disorder that would impact on his ability to proceed, Mr. Kushner said. So, for those of you who don't understand, the threshold for an insanity defense in the United States is not just someone needs to have a mental illness. It's that they have to have a mental illness that has caused them 
to be devoid from reality so that they are separated from reality completely and they believe they exist in a completely different world than we do. Um, when someone has this, this is psychosis. This is you having a break from reality. So they would need to prove that this is a situation where it's not where they know the difference between right and wrong and don't care. It's that they don't know the difference because the reality that they're experiencing isn't the same as ours. And so, yeah, it is very difficult to prove um, a psychotic break. I mean, when they happen, they're not that difficult to diagnose, but in to try and preventively diagnose someone with schizophrenia is a losing battle because they look perfectly fine, everything is great. It's not until um, whatever it is that's causing you to hallucinate that kicks in full swing without medications or anything that you really can start to diagnose things. So, uh, in 2005, 10 years before he shot his father, Gilbert told a psychiatrist he planned to buy a, a gun. The doctor made a note about it, writing, he is clearly very disturbed. In 2012, Tommy, who was then 27, a blonde-eyed blue eyes, six feet, three inches, informed his psychologist, Susan Evans, that he was again thinking about buying a gun. Now totally delusional, he had become convinced that his best friend and roommate was trying to hack into his phone and steal his secret hedge fund algorithm, which by the way, the hedge fund was a bust. Like he got a handful of people to invest in it. Not many people were really interested in it. Um, that was a dodgy time to invest in hedge funds. Uh, Bernie Madoff had just kicked off. So they, people in the investing world, especially people with lots of money, were being a lot more cautious. So yeah, his well, there's a lot of, of maintenance that comes with running a hedge fund. A lot of people think it's just going out, finding money, getting the money together, and then you invest it properly and you sit back and do nothing. No, there's maintenance that you have to do on the hedge fund. There's certain things you have to do. And the people who make profits, you're supposed to actually, depending on what they determined for their, uh, their options when they signed up for the hedge fund, many of them want their they're, whenever they make a windfall, many people want it mailed, that, that windfall mailed to them right there. So that's the returns that hedge funds promise is the money you're gonna make off of your investment that month. So um, the reason hedge funds become an issue is it's a lot of available cash hanging around. Um, we just saw an American financier lose his whole hedge fund because he put the hedge fund on a short fall and was wrong so yeah um, that is the issue with hedge funds both of his parents worked in finance so um, that is why when Dr. Evans uh, heard the second uh, a complaint uh, that he was voicing and that he was going to buy a gun plus that with some of the delusional behavior he was exhibiting at that time she um, so was so concerned that she referred it to Dr. Michael Sachs 
professor of psychology at Wheel Cornwall Medical College, who had been treating Tommy for many, many years for several different mental health conditions. Dr. Sack later wrote in his report, we talked about it. He said he had done it out of curiosity. He denied having homicidal ideations, even though this is the second time um, that he's talked about shooting people. Dr. Sachs decided that his actions did not meet the requirement of New York's SAFE Act, which prevents dangerously mentally ill people from purchasing firearms. So whenever he felt that he was too mentally ill to have a firearm, you report them and that shows up when a background check gets done that you've been reported to SAFE um, as being too dangerous to have a weapon. After that, Tommy's mental condition dramatically deteriorated. He beat up a man on a broken street before um, burning down his family's second home in the Hamptons. When Dr. Sachs heard about the brutal street attack, he changed his mind and decided Tommy now met the requirements and he reported them. But somehow this just didn't stop him from obtaining a murder weapon illegally through the web. Now this is the complaint that many conservatives make whenever people want to create gun control. No, nobody wants your guns. You can keep your guns. Nobody wants to take them. They want to make it at least as difficult to get a gun, a permit to carry it legally as it is to drive a car. That's it. We just believe it should be at least just as difficult to get a gun as it is to get a driver's license. Seems reasonable to me. But for some reason, whenever you try to make people show that they have good intentions or adhere to rules, not limiting their freedoms, just making it more difficult for those freedoms to be used in an ill-advised way, they lose their minds. I come from a family of people who have guns. There's two police officers in my family. Almost everybody in my family hunts. So I'm never going to tell people not to have weapons. I grew up in a place where a lot of people hunted to survive. So that being said, there's such thing as responsible gun ownership and gun control is not going to deter people from buying guns. To be perfectly honest, the lackluster laws, the fact that in Texas, they basically have taken away the background check, the need for a permit to conceal carry, and literally you can get a day, a gun in one day, same day. That's what happened with the Texas shooter. In one day he went and bought two firearms legally. That shouldn't be, there needs to be a wait period. And I dramatically, I just, I feel so bad for all the states that surround Texas because they are gonna see a sudden and massive rise in gun violence due to how easy it will be for people to cross state lines and buy them in Texas. I It absolutely blows my mind the amount of people who are not aware the majority of illegal guns started as legal guns. They were purchased legally and then resold illegally or stolen or lost. Do they really think people are robbing gun armories? Do they really think that tons of people in every single state are breaking on to military bases and stealing their guns and weapons? No. They're having people buy them legally and then they're smuggling them to whatever state. If you really do not believe that people are going to send people down to Texas with a shopping list 
to buy them all the weapons they want and then bring them back to them to use illegally, you're delusional. The fact that they're unapologetic for making it so easy for people in the neighboring states to buy guns illegally, because it is illegal to buy them in one state and transport them across state lines to another state, but you've made it too easy. You've made it so all they gotta do is walk in and put their money down. And they're gonna walk out with as many guns as they can buy. And then they're gonna drive them to the next state and they're gonna sell them to various people who are gonna do awful shit with it. So I hope you're super happy that now Texas has made it very clear, women don't get to have rights, gay people shouldn't have any rights, but everybody has the right to a gun so they can kill everybody equally. I, I guess what, that's what they're going for. Um, yeah, it's been rough here in the States for the past couple of weeks, if you can't tell. Just a little bit frustrated with the fact that we have had over 300 mass shootings in the United States this year. We've had more mass shootings than days in the year, and people are still loosening gun restrictions in certain states. I don't understand. I really don't get it. I, I, I don't understand how you could be the same people screaming and yelling about America's children and you have to save the babies, and then you immediately loosen gun rights, gun restrictions, so that it's easier for people to have weapons to kill our children. Like, no, they, they do not care about us. It's very clear our government doesn't care about us. Something that many people didn't think about with the overturn of Roe v. Wade, they have made people getting fertility treatments, they put them in a kind of limbo. Because since they've decided that life starts at contraception, what do you do with embryos? Many times more embryos are made than needed. Many people destroy their embryos once they get the amount of children they have or if they, it's determined they can't have kids. Are they gonna be called a murderer now if they destroy an embryo they don't wanna use? You know, if they have excess embryos and you know, say there's gonna be a divorce and they don't want their husband to run off with their, cause that happens. That is a really big thing that happens. People fight over embryos in a divorce. So are you now gonna say, you know, if her husband leaves her, she can't get rid of those embryos? I mean, she's not gonna wanna have a man with a, husband, a person who left her. So you forcing those embryos to stay alive and viable. And the other question that begs is, is it considered murder if when buying an embryo, they become unviable? So it's put the field of fertility in a limbo. Um, there's a lot of other things people didn't think about when it comes to this. Um, there's now people are going to violate people's rights even more when it comes to getting vasectomies and getting your tubes tied. Already we have an issue with doctors refusing to do it if they, they feel you're too long. Screw the fact that you're telling them that you can't be a parent. You're going to be a shitty parent. You don't want to be a parent. That should be enough. I'm sorry, but that right there should be enough. I don't want to have kids. That's all you need to hear. For 40 years, they've been screaming at us in this country. If you can't afford children, if you are not mentally fit enough, don't have children. Well, people are listening to you and your response was to take away the right to abortion for every single person in the entirety of the, well, every single person in the states that choose to ban abortion. 
Right now, about half of the states have protections in place for abortion. Should it be given up to the state's choice? Um, 22 have outright banned it. So it makes zero sense. You know, people are telling you who they are. They're telling you they're not made for kids. They're telling you they don't have the patience. They're telling you financially they're not going to be able to take care of the kid. And your response is to say, oh, well, enjoy your baby. Or no, my favorite is you can always put them up for adoption. Well, guess what? I've always planned to adopt or be a foster parent. And I have routinely over the past 10 years of my life had multiple men to my face tell me that I shouldn't be adopting. It's not the same as being a parent. You never love kids that are adopted as much as you love your own children. Complete bullshit and crap. But yes, all those people who are out there trying to force people to have children that they are not equipped to deal with are the same people who are trying to talk people out of adoption. So once again, they don't care about our children. They don't give a shit about our children. If they cared about our children, they'd be putting more money into social services to deal with the massive influx of children that are going to end up in the system because we already know 75% of children up for adoption each year don't actually get adopted. But no, they have not added a stitch of extra money to any social security or to any um, social services programs in the United States. You know, it would also be great and prove that you cared about our kids if you fixed the foster care system, made it easier to navigate. But no, of course they're not going to do that because all they care about is that the child gets born. After the child is born, they could give two dams about what happens. If they end up in foster care, they don't care. They don't care if you get adopted by someone who is a predator. You still got adopted. You should be lucky. That is really the attitude many of these people have. It's disgusting. It's abhorrent. And now we have a Supreme Court justice talking about trying to limit access to birth control. But tell me again, I don't live in a country where people are trying to force women to have children no matter what. He also wants to go after gay marriage. I right, cool. Well, you're in a, you, you are in an interracial marriage. So what will happen next is your marriage will be made illegal. Please don't pretend like you don't realize that is what is going to happen. As soon as you come for any kind of marriage and try and have any kind of marriages deemed as illegal, the very, very next step on that train is interracial marriages. We are that racist in the United States. People can continue to try and pretend like we're not, but we are. We now have our new version of the clan. Instead of running around in hoods, they're running around with white face masks or neck guards. You still look like a Klansman. You haven't changed anybody's mind. You haven't fooled nobody. We know you're still the clan. Call yourself something different. You're still white supremacist and you're still not the majority voice in this country. A large voice, but not the majority. So, like I said, this past couple of weeks have been rough here in the U.S., but I'm done ranting about how angry and frustrated I am with my country. I don't know. Maybe some of you guys will see me. Maybe I, I, I will pick up tail and run away. I have been thinking about Scandinavia, Sweden, or Norway. You never know. But in our next podcast, we are going to look into the Ant Kill Kids. A cult that had a very, very unusual explanation for when their predictions did not come true. In the meantime, 
I hope you sleep better knowing how and why people do such awful things.